Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to The Refresh from Insider. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Kaya Moynihan. And we've got the latest news you need and want to know. Plus, we'll talk about why the pandemic made us all a lot more grumpy. But first, the latest. Steve Bannon has been sentenced to four months in prison. He was convicted this summer of two counts of criminal contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the House January 6th committee. In particular, the committee wants to know what Donald Trump said to his former chief strategist the day before the insurrection, info that led Bannon to say this on his War Room podcast on January 5th. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen. Okay, it's going to be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. Bannon will not have to start his sentence immediately. The judge is allowing his appeal. The House January 6th committee has formally subpoenaed former President Trump for documents and testimony. The committee says it has overwhelming evidence that Trump orchestrated and oversaw multiple efforts to overturn the 2020 election and has laid out in detail Trump's efforts to remain in power. Those efforts include spreading bogus claims of voter fraud, pressuring Justice Department officials to nullify Biden's victory, and filing false information under oath in federal court. Trump has two weeks to produce the relevant documents and is called to testify on November 14th. The markets closed up today, ending a strong week of earnings reports. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq closed up over 2%, and the Dow gained more than 740 points. Brian Evans covers markets for Insider. He says strong earnings calls this week, particularly Morgan Stanley and Johnson & Johnson, helped investors rally. The shift in momentum for the stock market can be traced back to last Thursday, which was an extremely volatile trading session in which the S&P 500 opened down 2% before closing with a gain of 2%. Some called the session a bear market rally, while others have predicted the start of something bigger. The federal government is launching an investigation into Jackson's long-running water crisis. The EPA wants to find out if Mississippi deliberately withheld funding for repairs and maintenance because the majority of the population is Black, potentially violating the Civil Rights Act. It could refer the case to the DOJ if Mississippi doesn't cooperate. Jackson's water issues were all over headlines in August after heavy rain meant people had to boil water to make it safe. But the NAACP says the city has been starved of resources for decades. 
One of the last children of an enslaved American has died. Daniel Smith was 90, and he grew up listening to his father's stories about the horrors of being born into slavery during the Civil War. Smith was a civil rights and anti-poverty activist who ran literacy programs in rural Alabama, eventually relocating to Washington, D.C., where he founded a federal training program for primary care physicians. In retirement, he served as an usher at the Washington National Cathedral, where he met Presidents Clinton, George W. Bush, and Obama. Here's Smith in a recent interview with CBS. I look back in terms of my crazy life, and I think it all came from my father, saying, do good things, do good things. Smith is survived by his wife and two children, and he has a forthcoming memoir titled Son of a Slave, A Black Man's Journey in White America. Here at the Refresh from Insider, we have the news you need and want to know always up to date. And hey, if you like what you hear, help us keep the sound waves on by telling other people to listen to the show. Despite all the rumblings of a quiet quitting epidemic, a new survey found that 81% of US workers are actually putting in the same amount of effort or more than they were six months ago. Only about 18% of respondents said they're phoning it in or putting in less effort than they used to. Yet, the data, conducted by a think tank called the Conference Board, shows that while employees are still working hard, they report feeling less committed to their jobs. House Republicans have introduced a national so-called don't say gay bill. It's similar to the law Florida passed early this year. The national bill, called Stop the Sexualization of Children Act, would ban books, events and programs that even mention LGBTQ people in any place that receives federal funding, such as schools and libraries. It'll also allow parents to sue schools if teachers expose children younger than 10 years old to that type of material. Right now, the bill has no chance of being passed, while Democrats control both chambers. But that may change with the midterm elections. Right now, COVID cases are dropping and have been for months. But experts are worried that won't last long. There are several new Omicron variants spreading across the globe that may evade immunity, possibly leading to a surge this winter. The variants will most likely be an issue for people who have weakened immune systems. Scientists are afraid existing therapies like lab-made antibodies won't be effective and the government doesn't have funding to make updated versions. New bivalent boosters definitely help, but so far, only about 10% of the US population have gotten a shot. Speaking of boosters, if you've had a Pfizer COVID vaccine or booster, it's likely been free. But behind the scenes, the government is shelling out $20 and $30 a shot, costs covered by the emergency public health declaration. But that's set to expire in a few months, and Pfizer says it will then roughly quadruple the price. Pfizer blames the hike on low demand and pressure to keep up with revenue projections. Private and public health insurance will pick up full costs, but it's not clear what that means for people who are uninsured. Taylor Swift dropped her highly anticipated 10th studio album last night. It's called Midnights. The singer says the album is a, quote, collage of intensity, reflecting lots of different emotions and thoughts that can happen in the middle of the night. 
The Guardian's review says in true Taylor style, some of the lyrics could be pointed at recent foes like Kanye West or Scooter Braun, who sold her old master recordings in 2019. Definitely no shade being thrown here. Karma takes all my friends to the summit. Karma is the guy on the screen coming straight home to me. Does it seem like everyone is a little more on edge lately? It does to me. SNL even did a skit recently about our collective rage. Have you noticed that everyone around you is angry and crazy? People are flipping out at Target, stabbing his back. And the only thing that can cheer us up is watching a sexy show about Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, new research shows that Americans' core personalities actually have changed since the pandemic began. And even though historically times of crisis bring people together, Insider's Adam Rogers explains that this time it tore us apart. Adam, your article talks about a change to what are called the big five personality traits, agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion, neuroticism, and openness. And you cite research that shows those traits changed pretty quickly during the pandemic. Yeah, the big five, one of the reasons they're called the big five is that they are remarkably stable, that each of us, you know, gets some measurement of these five traits. And then we we kind of stay that way from like between the ages of 16 to when we're about 60. And what these researchers did is that they had these surveys for more than 7,000 people, where they would repeatedly ask you to take these personality inventories. They had data from before the pandemic until two years later. And they found that people's personalities had changed that on four of the measurements. Early in the pandemic, they saw changes in neuroticism. Neuroticism is actually a, a metric of like emotional stability and resilience. People were more emotionally stable at the beginning of the pandemic. They got better. But then over the course of the pandemic, everything else got worse, less agreeable, less extroverted, less open to new things. And they changed only kind of a small amount in a gross sense, but relative to how much you would expect, it was quite a lot. So over those period of, of two years, it changed for the population about as much as you would expect to see a change over 10 years. And speculatively, the hypothesis here is that what did it was the pandemic. So what is notable about seeing such change so quickly? Well, so the first thing is that it's unexpected. People who study personality change would not expect to see a population scale change like that, especially in a unified direction. This was weird because they did find these personality changes and they were consistent that they saw across the board, small but statistically significant changes in the same direction for people. But the second reason that it's weird is that it's a fundamental tenet of the sociology of disasters that disasters make people better. That's a loaded word there, but people help each other. People get kinder. They reach out to strangers. We do not become, you know, the, the Mad Max feral looting shotgun wielding defenders of walled compounds that like science fiction likes to say happens in a post-apocalyptic world. But it turns out to be wrong, which is a real bummer. But it's not the first time this country has faced a collective crisis or a pandemic for that matter. So how was this pandemic different? There are a few answers, I think, to that. One of them is that it just lasted a long time. It has lasted, continues to last a long time. And so, you know, an acute event is very different than like two years, going on three years 
of, you know, how to deal with this, of just the weight of it on people that you kind of run out of resources. You know, people will make comparisons between the COVID pandemic and let's say the 1918-1919 influenza epidemic. While the whole, the global pandemic lasted for a year, two years, in the United States, at least, the flu would get to a city and then it would run through the city and then it would leave. And that was it. So people could deal with it. They could um, sort of respond to it, both really respond to it, but also emotionally respond to it. Your article talks about people becoming jerks. Uh, The word that comes to mind for me is brittle. It seems like people are just frail. I wish I'd used that word because it's certainly a more sensitive one. At the beginning of 2020, I wrote an article saying, you know, if we just all hold the line together, if we just stick together with each other on this, like every other disaster, it is beatable. And I think that I was wrong and naive. One of the things that happened, I think is pretty well established, is that when it became clear, for example, that the pandemic had more of an impact on poor people and on people who weren't white, I and a lot of other people who wrote about it, both professionals and also journalists, started putting that in everything we said, you know, thinking, well, you got to help people who are vulnerable, who are more vulnerable than yourselves. And in fact, I think it had the opposite effect. I think that it made people think, well, it's not my problem anymore. And some of the brittleness, I think, that you rightly characterize there comes from not being able to help and feeling like nobody was helping you. There's an abandonment in both directions that becomes very self-interested. And that, I think, is, is a catastrophic way to characterize or think about any disaster. And to see that in your neighbors and your fellow citizens and to feel it in yourself, I think the only, like, yeah, that's going to have an impact on your personality. You're going to get kind of brittle after that. Have any of the researchers you've talked to mentioned going back? Like, can our personalities change for the better going forward? Or are we just doomed (laughs) to keep getting grumpier? Because this pandemic is never ending. (laughs) One of the things that I think is fairly constant about my own personality is that I tend to be pretty optimistic. What personality change experts know is that the way that you change personalities is through small but constant and diligent effort. I still hope that what the pandemic could still teach us is how to be better with ourselves and with others. And you can take small steps, you know, that move us to a place where we are our better selves. Adam, thanks so much for chatting. It is my pleasure, as always. Adam Rogers writes about technology and culture for Insider. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. I'm Kay Moynihan. And I'm Rebecca Ibarra. We produce our show along with Grace Eliza Goodwin, Frank Alito, and my usual co-host, Dave Smith, who's spending time with his new baby. Carrie Donahue is our executive producer. And we had help this week from Rob Gunther, Dan Gooding, and Michal Stein. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. 